Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend and a wonderful end to the week. I'm sorry it wasn't on on Thursday and Friday. There were some things going on in my area that I had to take care of, but I'm back and there was a lot of stuff that happened in the last few days that I do want to get into. I'm going to be doing my annual recap for the second episode of The Mandalorian that premiered on Friday. I'm also going to be talking about Johnny Depp being let go from the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Also going to get into Spider-Man 3 beginning production and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about, unfortunately, some tragic news came out yesterday. And just a week after the tragic passing of Sean Connery, we have the passing of another iconic figure in Hollywood, and it comes in the form of the great host himself, Alex Trebek of Jeopardy, died from cancer at the age of 80 yesterday, passed away in his sleep, and I am somebody who knows a lot of people that are diehard Jeopardy fans. I know somebody who I went to Hofstra with is aspiring to be a a game show host. And he was one of the first people I thought about with this. He loved Alex Trebek to death. And I I contacted him and he felt the way that I think a lot of people do that really fell in love with Jeopardy. And it was because of the presence of somebody like an Alex Trebek who was just able to exude confidence, but also brilliance and being able to engage audiences with the high level IQ of some of these contestants that are on the show and to make sure everybody was educated. And he was just loved by by so many people. And that doesn't really often happen with a lot of celebrities where you get people that just universally love somebody as much as they loved Alex Trebek. And he is somebody who was a multiple Emmy Award winner. And even before Jeopardy hosted multiple game shows, was somebody who was a journalist beforehand, but grew into what he really loved to do and holds the Guinness World Record for the amount of episodes that he hosted on a television show, which is insane. And I think inspires not just people who want to do what he does and be a game show host, but also I think people that want to be performers or people that just want to have a good worth ethic, they can strive to do what Alex Trebek did was even come hell or high water. He always wanted to be in the studio no matter what. And I was listening to a really interesting interview with CNN yesterday where they had one of the executive producers for Jeopardy on. And they said that even for somebody on the status of a celebrity like Alex Trebek, really his his calming notion was going into the studio every day or for a day or so and shooting multiple episodes of Jeopardy. That's where he felt the most at home. And this is something that obviously comes at the end of a painstaking road after two years of announcing that he was fighting a cancer once again, specifically pancreatic cancer. And there was a lot of, of love and well wishes regarded for Alex Trebek. And I think over the last year or so, we've just kind of been clinging on to the hope of enjoying everything that we can possibly get with this man. And one of the most impressive things is even with COVID and the new COVID regulations for television productions, film productions, 
Alex Trebek always wanted to be in the studio, and it was it was announced yesterday when we'll get the last episode of Alex Trebek, and it was announced that his last day of shooting was either October 29th or October 28th, and he has enough episodes to go for over a month what they announced was basically by christmas day is when we'll get the last episode or so of alex trebek as the host for jeopardy and i'm sure that is going to be an event unlike any other where we can celebrate the life of alex trebek even though he's gone from us now and it'll be a posthumous watch i think it'll be something to appreciate that we'll never get somebody who is a host like that ever ever again and again it just talks about the sheer will that even when it seemed like he was on his last legs and he might not have looked too good he was able to still come in and wanted to do this day in and day out and again i think it inspires people that not just want to get into the business whether it's again hosting or somewhere else in entertainment or even in a completely different job area job description they can still aspire to have that kind of worth ethic where you're just, you love what you do and you do it day in and day out and look to strive to be better and not just make yourself better, but make your coworkers and other people around you better at what they do. And I think that's what Alex Trebek did. I think that's what his legacy is going to be. And I think there's going to come questions and times for when there's going to be a new Jeopardy host. But I think for the next, for really till the end of the year, I do believe that it's just going to be about a celebration of Alex Trebek. And for the episodes that he was able to film for the last month or so, I think everyone's going to take it with everything they have they're going to appreciate every single moment and around that christmas time when it's a a festive time and people are getting together a lot of people are going to be gathering around i think to watch the last few episodes of alex trebek as the host so once again my heart goes out to the the trebek family his friends his loved ones also to the many people that were inspired by alex trebek who look looked up to him as their number one idol and again i know a person that is aspiring to be a game show host so again i texted him making sure that he was okay knowing that you know i could talk to him and and he can talk to me and and again have that kind of conversation and again to him and to everybody else that are big alex trebek fans that aspire to be game show hosts like that my heart goes out to you and again, you, you can always live up to the greatness of that and always take away things and that the legacy can never be forgotten and it can just be added upon. And I think we're going to see that in the next few weeks. But once again, the life, the legacy of Alex Trebek will live on forever and ever. Tragically passed away at the age of 80 yesterday morning. And now to move on to some movie news that I want to talk about as well. Before I even get to the movie news, another thing that I want to discuss is my annual Mandalorian recap that I do every single week. And again, because I wasn't on on Friday, I'm doing it this today right now, and it's going to be my non-spoiler review for episode two of season two, aka chapter ten. Tomorrow will be my non my spoiler review will be tomorrow. My non-spoiler review is right now. So no details are gonna be really given away about this episode of The Mandalorian, which is titled The Passenger. It was directed by Peyton Reed, and this was an episode that was coming off, I think, such a insurmountable expectation for what we got in the season premiere, which was directed by Jon Favreau. And 
this episode doesn't quite gear towards the heights of that first episode, which I thought was tremendous. It was action-packed. It had a really good story. Great character development, some really good surprises, some great Easter eggs, and blended it all together really, really well, really, really naturally, and kind of got to the tone and the basic, the basicness of what this show really is. And although this episode doesn't reach those heights, it is a little tampered down from from the season premiere. I still think it is a very enjoyable episode that I think continues that basic concept of what the show is really all about, which is these missions, these adventures with this solo gunslinger alongside a compatriot that is Baby Yoda, a.k.a. the child. And I think what really stood out to me alongside this episode was the humor and the chemistry between these characters. And for a basic plot premise with this episode basically after his adventures on Tatooine Mando has to escort this passenger from Tatooine to another planet and on that planet this passenger will give details in which her and her husband know the the way and the the, the way and the the location of where the Mandalorian can find others of his kind other Mandalorians which he has been searching for since the season premiere so this is kind of a a slow burn story that we're getting right now, which then kind of veers off into these side missions, which I I particularly enjoy. And I think, again, going to the strengths of this episode was really, I think, something that isn't really done well with a lot of Star Wars stuff. And I think the last episode in an episode or two from the first season was that some of the, the, the comedy felt very forced and out of hand and just completely fell off by the wayside a little bit. However, this episode, I think the... The comedy fit organically well into the story. And it wasn't just you had a comedian or somebody who was known for their comedy in the episode. The actual writing between the Mandalorian and the child specifically really kind of boded well for some comedic takes and and some comedic action between the two of them that I found pretty surprising. And then to speak on the child and the Mandalorian, I think this episode really kind of furthered the, the relationship for where these two are right now from where they began the series on with season one to where they are now it kind of has developed into a a father-son kind of vibe where man where baby yoda is kind of doing these things that a child like a three four-year-old would do and mandalorian on top of having to kind of escape all these bounty hunters that are trying to capture this child he also has to look after the child so he doesn't do anything kind of reckless and crazy on board the ship and around him so i, th- I found that to be pretty entertaining and again i didn't I, it was very simplistic it didn't really further the story I think as much as that last episode did even though it was also a side mission but I think it kind of explored the basic correlationships that have kind of gone along in these first 10 episodes of the series so far and when you get a guy like Peyton Reed if you've watched the Ant-Man films you know that this is the kind of stuff that he is really really good at and what he's known for within the Disney and the bigger blockbuster universe is blending really good action with some with some heart and emotion but also some really good comedy to kind of levity the mood a little bit and I think that's exactly what he did with this episode and I think for people that are saying this is a filler episode it kind of is and so was the last episode it was just executed a little bit better but again this is these first two episodes I think go to the foundation again of what Favreau has wanted this show 
to be. And it wasn't like Peyton Reed wrote this episode. Favreau, other than two of the eight episodes for the season, wrote every single episode or most of the episodes for this season. So he knows where he wants this show to go. And I think when he talked about it in Entertainment Weekly a few months ago, when describing kind of the format of what he wants the show to be, he talked about that slow burn from Game of Thrones. And this is exactly what the Mandalorian, I think, is taking away from that, where it's not kind of just going along with the main story and just going through it and then trying to find filler episodes to stop it. Even though we're going on these side missions, everything is progressing this story moving forward. Mando is trying to get to these other Mandalorians, but he keeps getting kind of distracted by all these side quests that go on. And it, it, they had some really cool Easter eggs that blended in very well. And I just think this is this was a very good episode that continues the journey moving forward. And even though I'm defending these filler episodes, I do want them to progress the storyline going forward. And I think if you look at the... The track record so far for the format of the season, it seems like with the first two episodes of the first season of The Mandalorian, that was kind of the slow burn that we got of telling the story of Mando, tracking his bounty, then bringing it back to Werner Herzog's character by episode three, and they kind of reached the climax point of the first part of the first part of the story, overall story of season one. And I think that's what's going to happen in this next episode in episode three, AKA chapter 11, where the the first part of this voyage of the season is gonna hit its crescendo point by episode three, the next episode. So I think Mando finding more Mandalorians, I think we're gonna see that kind of move forward next time around. But overall with this episode, I enjoyed it. I thought, again, not on the same level as the first episode, but I still think an enjoyable episode nonetheless. I think it furthered the, the relationship and showed audience members a relationship that is developed developed with the child, with Mandalorian, and even this new creature, I thought, which was incredible prosthetics, really was an interesting introduction to this character that wasn't really a detractment from this adventure that we went on this episode and, and played a key role. And it was really kind of cool, some of the visuals that they did. And again, it just kind of shows that they know that the visual department, the, 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 the VFX department, they know what they want to do with this show and that they have really identified the the potentiality of this technology that they have in front of them and it just keeps getting better episode by episode and I'm excited again for more episodes to come. We're not even halfway through the season. We have six episodes to go. Episode three is this Friday and I think for people that want main story I think this next episode is where we're going to get it based off of the tracking that we have gotten from the last season where, again, the first three episodes was kind of one mini arc, and then for episode four through six was another kind of mini arc, and then the last two were kind of the 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 capping, the tail end of the journey that we took for that first season. So I think that's the format that Favreau is going to be taking with this with this season and continuing that trajectory going forward. But again, this was my non-spoiler review for the second episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Tomorrow I'll have my spoiler recap of the episode, some Easter eggs that I'll talk about. There wasn't anything kind of majorly spoilery that was on the same level as again that first premiere episode, but some things that I will still talk about that I didn't get to that I didn't want 
want to talk about here if you haven't watched the episode. But if you guys have seen this episode of Mandalorian, again, for this episode, make sure that you do not put in your non you put in your non-spoiler comments, no spoiler comments, so that nobody can get spoiled that they have not seen the episode just yet. And let me know what you thought about it down below. I would love to see if you enjoyed it, if you thought it was okay, and again, not on the same level as the first episode, which is where I'm coming from, or if you thought it was on that same level as the first episode. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And keeping in the galaxy far, far away, moving to some movie slash TV news that is going around the world of Hollywood, I want to get into a trailer for a specific holiday special that is also happening in a galaxy far, far away this year. And that is the Lego Holiday Star Star Wars Holiday Special trailer. And it will be premiering on November 17th on Disney Plus. And it's kind of the semi-redemption shot of the infamous Star Wars holiday special that came out in the in the late in the 80s. And that was something that was just uh, atrocious. George Lucas has come out and said that. It was just something that I think a lot of Star Wars fans find funny nowadays, but I think back then it, it was labeled a disaster, and it still is a disaster, but I think people take it with more of a, of a fun tone to it than anything else. But it seems like there are creators that want to kind of have a redemption shot at that, at it and are doing it in a way that I think is, is fun and enjoyable, and that's in a Lego format. And I think when you think about Star Wars, one of the big things that have come out of it, away from television shows, away from the movies, and when you look at the merchandising aspect, are Legos. And that's actually building the Legos, which I used to do as a kid, but also the Lego video games. When I, I used to play the original trilogy, the, the prequel trilogy, I played all those Lego games when I was a kid, and they were so much fun and kind of were the first ones to establish the Lego franchises more than just building blocking, but can go into actual visual formats. And the first one was really in the video game sphere. And Star Wars is really the, the, the franchise that propelled it. And so I think if you're trying to kind of do a kind of holiday special for Star Wars, the Lego format is the way to go. And the, the basic premise for this for this holiday special is that it takes place sometime after the, the, the Rise of Skywalker in some form of canon. You have Ray back, Poe, you have Finn, Rose, Chewie, Lando. The, the, the characters from those trilogies are back for this installment. And basically it takes place on Life Day. And it's basically their kind of holiday celebration that they are having with everybody. And Ray is some who is still going through Jedi training and she arrives at this Jedi temple and finds this crystal which actually can transport her back through time and basically she goes on all these adventures through the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy and combines all of these Star Wars characters from the past and present together in this Lego format and when, when I heard about it, it sounded interesting but watching the actual trailer for this special it just looks like a hell of a lot of fun just just so much fun for everybody not just kids but i think for people like me for like adults young adults or even adults that are 40 or 50 years old i think if you are a star wars fan across the board doesn't matter the age you will love this because it just looks like again just pure fun and just kind of mixing and moshing all these different eras together you have ray and vader fighting and, and palpatine fighting ray and luke and and you're bringing together the 
clone troopers, and it seems like everyone converges on the, the, the a new hope Tatooine where Luke is a young kid looking at the binary suns. It just looks like a whole lot of fun. And I think right now, that's what we need in entertainment and in the world right now. We just need something to take our minds off of what's going on right now. And it's for at least a, a minute, minute and a half. That's what this trailer did. It took my mind off of things and I just had a smile across my face. And I think it's exactly what fans need. I think it's exactly if you're looking for more Star Wars content besides Mandalorian, this is going to be something that's fun. You're also going to have voice acting from Anthony Daniels back as 3PO. Billy D. Williams is going to be coming back as Lando Calrissian and so is Kelly Marie Tran for Rose so I think this just looks like a whole lot of fun for everybody for Star Wars fans and it's also the holiday times I think they're feeding they're feeding into that a lot and I think over the last five six years or so Star Wars has become synonymous with the holiday times every single film besides Solo a Star Wars story in 2018 has come out in December and I think for a lot of people they get their families together and Star Wars is always always meant to be a family thing you pass it down from generation to generation I know that's what happened when my dad showed it to to myself and my brother and the same thing that I know for for some of my friends as well so I think over the years it's become a family thing and my family we've gone to see the new Star Wars films I've gone to see them with friends as well during the holiday times when I was back from Hofstra when I was in college so I think it's it's kind of become a tradition at this point and even though this isn't a live Star Wars event I think just getting people to watch this during the holiday time is a lot of fun and will keep that tradition going throughout this year so I think it's a lot of fun it just looks enjoyable and I think that's what we need right now so I'm really excited for this I wasn't I was excited but now I'm actually really looking forward to this special I was like okay this looks good it sounds cool I'll check it out but seeing the trailer again fun I think the 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 best f word you could use for this is fun 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 and I'm gonna look forward to this when it comes out next week actually November 17th so what do you guys think about this trailer did you enjoy it did you not enjoy it was it above your expectations like it was with mine was it below was it still the same expectations that you had before watching the trailer let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts in the comment section and then keeping with Disney, we're going to move away from trailers right now and move on to the talk of 2021 when it comes to movies, and that is the release calendar of this year. And unfortunately, it's more bad news to come as it was it was announced during the weekend that the 20th Century Studio films, both Free Guy and Death on the Nile, are officially moving away from the 2020 calendar and are delayed indefinitely at this point right now. There is no new release date for these two movies, but if one could guess, they're probably going to create some room in 2021. I doubt 2022 since these films are already made. They've had marketing done for them already, so they're probably going to want to get them out for 2021. But these were the last two films that were associated with Disney to be on the release date calendar. All the Marvel Studios films, 
West Side Story. They were all pushed back to 2021 a few months ago. So there was a little hope holding out that these two films would make it, but it doesn't seem like that is the case right now. And this truly only leaves, in terms of a blockbuster, a highly anticipated blockbuster that people are looking forward to, the last one to remain and kind of the last the last string of hope for 2020 is Wonder Woman 1984 at this particular moment and time. And it seems like, according to rumors, and I was talking about it last week, that it seems like Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be moving at some point in time. Although AMC did come out and say that potentially uh, people might not know that Wonder Woman will move until a week or two before it's supposed to come out. So it's still up up in the air for what's going to happen with that movie. But it does not bode well when the two other films that were supposed to come out in December are moving away into the future. And again, this is just, it's inevitable. The coronavirus is as big as it's ever been, even maybe more so than it was in, when, in its onset when the pandemic hit in March. And I think studios aren't going to aren't going to release any big blockbusters at this particular moment in time. And this could mean, and I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but it's reality in the sense that theaters might close down, especially if Wonder Woman moves to 2021. Theaters are going to have to, I think, shut down at that point. And and I think, because there's going to be nothing major for them to put out. And they're barely holding on by the skin of their teeth with smaller, mid-level budgeted Blockbuster, not blockbusters, but mid, mid-budget level films that are coming out right now, like Honest Thief or Let Him Go. But that's not going to sustain people and sustain theaters for a significant amount of time. And they could put out re-releases like they did in October for Halloween, and they could do the same thing for November and December for the holidays. But that's not going to sustain them for the next few months. They need big blockbusters. And Tenet, again, even though it did well worldwide, here in the States, it did not do well. And I I don't think that's going to be the case for any other blockbusters moving forward. And again, it's just a sad point. And I think people were looking forward to Free Guy. I think people were interested in seeing a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express with Kenneth Branagh coming back for Death on the Nile. But I think for 20th Century Studios and Disney that's that's with them because they own the company now, They th- these aren't, mid, again, mid-level budget. These are $170, $180 million blockbusters that they need to do somewhat decently well at the box office. And I think they would rather lose the money in a healthy market than lose it in a hurt market right now. So I, I think that's where a lot of studios stand. And the last string, again, like I said before, that is attaching these films right now and attaching 2020 to some kind of sliver is Wonder Woman 84. But again, from what I talked about last week and from the reports that I've heard, it's sounding like more and more inevitable that Wonder Woman is going to move sometime to 2021. So again, it's it's unfortunate, it's sad, but right now that's the reality that we live in. Hopefully in the next few months, we get some good news to kind of counteract the bad news right now. But unfortunately, it's just bad news galore when it comes to the movie theater section right now. What do you guys think about these moves with Free Guy and Death on the Nile moving away from 2020? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And now I want to talk about some major productions that have wrapped and that are beginning their productions right now. And these are major, major, major films from 
major franchises that are implementing COVID-19 standards that are beginning productions and leaving productions right now. And I'm going to start with the first, with the former that is beginning production right now, and that is the Marvel Studios flick Spider-Man 3, that is the unofficial title for this project right now, is beginning production. It started at the tail end of the week, and it was announced via Tom Holland's Instagram that production was starting back up once again, and there was a picture of him in what looked like to be a Spider-Man Far From Home suit, where instead of it kind of having the blue kind of, the, the blue sleeves kind of by his sides, it was more of the black, which was referenced in the final battle in Far From Home. So whether it takes place directly after what happens in the mid-credits scenes of Far From Home, or it takes place a little bit after that, it seems like it's going to stay within that continuity. And Tom Holland had on an actual mask, a PPE mask, along with his actual Spider-Man mask. and was kind of joking of, well, I have two masks on, not just one mask on. So kind of giving people the instance of going out and and doing the, the safety protocols that are out and about in civilization right now with wearing masks all the time when out in public. But other than that, we really don't know what else is going on with this film. I think encouraging signs right now is the fact that a lot of productions are ramping back up. They're already in production. Marvel Studios is has geared up productions and has done productions over the last few months. They just did Shang-Chi they wrapped up on a few weeks ago. They also are doing their Disney Plus shows where I think Loki is still filming right now. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is still filming, even though it sounded like that was, it seemed like it only had a few more weeks left at one point, even before the pandemic. It didn't sound like they had a whole lot, but they're still filming right now. So Marvel is slowly but surely starting to ramp back up production. This is one of the this is another major one for them in terms of getting things back into the canon of getting Marvel films, even if we have to wait another year or so for this movie. Right now, Spider-Man 3 is set for December of 2021. Again, that could change in any given moment in time, but that is the date that they have chosen right now. And of course, it's set to star Jamie Foxx returning back as Electro from the Andrew Garfield films from 2012 and 2014. It's also going to bring back Zendaya, Marissa Tomei, and the major MCU character to be put into this Spider-Man film is going to be Benedict Cumberbatch, Doctor Strange, and what kind of signifies and signals that the multiverse is going to have some kind of equation in this Spider-Man film, potentially with Doctor Strange in the mix. But this sounds exciting. I think it's just a piece of reassurance that Tom Holland is back at work. Marvel Studios is back at work right now, and they're going to do the best they possibly can with these situations. For Tom Holland, this is a big, big uh, stretch for him. He just got done finishing Uncharted for Sony, and now he's getting into his other main franchise with Spider-Man. So for, for Tom Holland... Having a few uh, a few months off and then hitting the ground running is is something I think an actor would love to do right now. So for him, it, it's a great sign for him for his career and that he's getting to do some stuff. He's getting back into work and it shows the star power that Tom Holland is is kind of crafting right now, especially within Sony, where they feel like they they have locked down one of the future stars of Hollywood. And he's, again, he's already really a star, but in terms of super, superstar status, I think they feel like they got one for the future, which is why they're locking him up for Nathan Drake and for what they want to do with him still with the Spider-Man franchise. But again, it's it's really cool, but again, this is more of reassurance that things are moving down the pipeline 
for the MCU. But now one major film that was filming months ago and what is was really the first major blockbuster production to get back into the the swing of things with COVID-19 protocols in place was the sequel to Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and that is the returning of Colin Trevorrow directing Jurassic World Dominion. And again, this was one that a lot of people had their eyes on for how a major studio, which is which Universal produces this this property, and how a a film of this caliber would function in COVID-19. And it was announced during the weekend by Contravaro that production had officially wrapped on Jurassic World Dominion. They are all done and they decided to share a lot of their details with Deadline Hollywood and talking about the the advantages and the protocols and the rules that were in place and when they created kind of their own safety bubble. We saw the MLB do it for their playoffs. We've seen the NBA do it for the rest of their season when they relaunched at the tail end of the summertime. And that is kind of what we're experiencing with a lot of Hollywood productions right now. And, and again, Jurassic World Dominion was one of the first ones to kind of create their own bubble where nobody was allowed to go anywhere unless they were approved to move around whenever they could. And Songbird, which is produced by by Michael Bay, and we just got a trailer for that was really kind of the first film that went through the COVID-19 protocols that were put in place by a lot of the guilds and production companies. But it's not it's not a big, big blockbuster like Jurassic World Dominion is. A lot of eyes are going to be, I think, more on Dominion than on, on Songbird because one of the big questions is with a lot of these budgets, you're going to have to inflate it a little bit because you're going to have to put in a lot of a lot of money into these protocols. So what are you going to do? We're, we're, we already had Jurassic World Dominion do it. The Batman is doing it right now. Avatar is also in production right now with new protocols in place. So you're seeing a lot of major films do this. I just talked about Shang-Chi when discussing Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 is doing it right now. So a lot of eyes are on these big productions, but I think none other are going to be on what Jurassic World Dominion did. And according to some of the, the details on the production, the budget itself is was $165 million for the budget. And I don't think that's going to take into account for PNA for marketing. It'll probably inflate it up to potentially a little around $200 million probably when all is said and done. But they talked about how when it came to the actual COVID protocols, Universal Studios actually spent six to eight million dollars on the COVID protocols themselves. And I don't know the details if that is included in the $164 million or not, or if you had have to add that into the cost and inflate it to potentially $172 or $73 million when all is said and done. But according to the details that were utilized, there was a, requ- a required 40,000 COVID-19 tests, millions of dollars were spent again on the on the protocols and for the cast and key crew to isolate themselves in a bubble for many many months and this is also according to the deadline article that there were more than 1,800 COVID related signs across Pinewood Studios 150 hand sanitizing stations 
60 extra sinks for washing your hands and that there was actual cleaning done throughout the evening time when everyone was done working on production for the day and that they were antiviral fogged before utilized the following day. And according to Deadline Hollywood as well, Universal commissioned a private medical facility called Your Doctor to manage the entire production's medical requirements. Testing was the backbone of the safety measures and Deadline Hollywood revealed that more than 40,000 COVID-19 tests were conducted with 0.25% returning positive, which was, according to the math, around 100 positive results. And according to the to the report, some did turn out to be false positives and some were returned prior to employment at Pinewood Studios. And the studio also set up a police green zone for the shooting cast and crew, and all workers were temperature tested every day. Two walkthrough temperature testing stations were built at each of Pinewood Studios with a capacity of 1,000 crew over over two hours, and each test station had a a complement of doctors, nurses, and isolation booths. And when it came to the actual bubble itself or where you went after you were done with shooting at Pinewood for the day, they actually set up a, a quarantine bubble in a hotel area in the UK where cast and crew stayed for the duration of shooting. And Colin Trevorrow talked about it in this article as well, where it was really a testament to to everybody working because this wasn't just a, a, a few days of shooting. This was months and months of shooting, going without seeing your family members and kind of being holed up in just a few locations throughout. And, and they talked about how even with these COVID some of the co- positive COVID tests, they were able to still do what they needed to do while going on second uh, second unit shoots to, to kind of shoot backgrounds and to shoot landscapes like a lot of second units really do. They were able to do a lot of that and still get what they needed to get done. And they kind of became this really tight-knit family throughout and they became closer together. And uh, well, that's what Contravaro wants people to take away from this. And that's what he's hoping can make this film stronger. And I really, I compliment the, 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 the focus, the tenacity, the, the willpower of everyone involved with this to actually get through it because for the stars cast, for the crew, you're, you're with these people that you know, you might know, you might not know, and you're away from your family for months on end. You don't see them for a long period of time and kind of reading this stuff, it reminded me a lot of what the, the NBA players and the WNBA players went through when they were holed up in their bubble for weeks and months on end, especially if you made the playoffs, family members were able to come through, but you were kind of in one place for months and months and months. And that can take, especially physically, because you're an athlete, it takes its toll on you, but psychologically, it takes a toll on you as well. And for these people as well, they didn't get the luxury of having their families around. They they couldn't see them, they could only FaceTime them and, and see them virtually than actually being able to hold their loved ones in their hands and not being able to see them for a long duration of time. So psychologically, the fortitude you have to have to actually go through that, withstand that, while doing the best you can every single day at the crap that you work in in each department throughout production is astounding. So I tip my cap off just in the the actual management of this to Universal, to the crew, to the cast. And even if the film turns out to be awful and is the worst Jurassic Park film of all time, one of the worst films of all time, I will still give my props to what they were able to do 
in these times and especially being the first to kind of go through that for a big budgeted production. But I, I don't think that'll be the case. I think this film is going to turn out to be very well done. Conjavaro knows this franchise. He's bringing back castmates of, of old with Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum while also uniting it with the new with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. And I think I'm looking forward to it as a fan of the Jurassic World franchise, but also as a filmmaker, somebody who covers this industry like I do on my podcast and kind of just and seeing it from the behind the scenes standpoint of how they were able to make it seem seamless when really in the background behind the scenes, they were probably going through so many different variations of things that was so different and so crazy that you wouldn't experience on a set like that. And they had to shut down for two weeks a few weeks ago because a few people were testing positive. So I, I just get, I tip my cap off from hearing these details for what the cast and crew had to go through, what Contravaro and his directing crew had to go through, and also the producers, Universal Studios, for coming up and helping with these and putting in whatever money they needed to to make this happen. And again, even though we have big budget productions like The Batman and, again, Spider-Man 3 going through productions, big productions right now, I think seeing what Jurassic World was able to pull off is going to have a lot of people's eyes on if we're going still going through this crisis in a few years from now, what they were able to do in an environment like that. So again, I tip my hat off, uh, my cap off to them and to everyone that was a part of it, to, to Universal again for putting up the money, whatever they had to do, however many tests, however many doctors they needed, any 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 medical officers they needed, it seems like they were able to get. So I think it is a testament to kind of what Captain America said in Avengers Endgame of whatever it takes and Universal was able to do that with this film and did whatever it takes to get this film made done and at least production wise it seems like in the can however i wouldn't be surprised because this film isn't coming out to 2022 if Contravaro and his editing team and the rest of his production team get into the editing suites and they start cutting up the footage and putting the pieces together we'll probably hear about in the next year or so that they go back for reshoots and kind of how do you do that again is it a smaller budget and do you have a smaller crew kind of come in for whatever scenes you need to pick up so again the, i think the big test is done but now comes kind of the the little test of, of okay now that we're in the post-production process and again a customary for a lot of these big blockbusters is reshoots for maybe figuring out some things that you don't have for the puzzle just yet going back and doing that how is that all going to work out or is it just kind of in the times that we live in we can't put the money that we would in reshoots we're just kind of have to go with what we have or work something else out as well so again i'm really interested to see what they do with this and it seems like they they didn't rely so much on vfx in terms of of background cast or, or extras or or that they weren't able to go to a specific location. They were able to go to wherever they needed to go. They kept it in a bubble. They only had around, from the math, it sounded like they had around 100 positive results, even false positive or completely positive. That's honestly, you hope every single one of those, it sounds like there was no deaths reported. Hopefully all those cases were mild at best. Hopefully nobody experienced really bad symptoms. But in the end, 100 positive results, that's not bad for a production like that. 
that really, really isn't. So again, I tip my cap off to Universal, to Colin Trevorrow, and the rest from the gaffers to the grips to the to the second assistants to the to the first director to the second director, everybody from the PAs, every single person that worked on this production, and even to people that probably are working on the Batman and to people that are working on the indies. My cap goes off to you, to the production companies for having the fortitude for saying, you know what, we're going to put money in this. We're going to see this through to the end. We're not going to wait on it. And we're going to do what we need to do to make this happen. You got people working once again, people that are on unemployment that were looking for work. At least you gave them something to look forward to, some money in the back for them. And I think that's the, really the important thing when looking at this is that it can be done if you do it safely, smart, and effective. And it seems like that is what Jurassic World Dominion was able to do. On a, Again, on a big scale production like this, it seems like it was able to get done with, again, some positive results, but in the end, it didn't seem like anything drastic happened that would warn people to stay away from this on a big production scale like this. So again, tip my cap off to, to Universal, to Colin Trevorrow, his team, and everyone else from the cast and crew that was a part of Jurassic World Dominion. It seems like, again, I don't know from the from the actual film itself, but from the production standpoint, it seems like they pulled something special off with this, and they will be put in the history books as well for what they did with that production. What do you guys think about Spider-Man 3 going into production and Jurassic World Dominion wrapping up production, principal photography production on their shoot? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts below. And the final thing that I want to talk about today is moving over to Warner Brothers and kind of talking about a very fickle situation that is going on with them and their Fantastic Beasts franchise. And it was announced at the tail end of the week that one of their stars who was playing Gallo Grindelwald, who was kind of the main villain of this Fantastic Beasts franchise, would be kind of removed basically and let go from his duties as we're playing that role and it seems like Warner Brothers is looking to find somebody else to replace that role even though they are shooting right now and this really comes off the heels of what happened a week ago on this date on this day on Monday a week ago where Johnny Depp lost his libel suitcase against the sun after they put in one of their articles that he was a wife beater to his then wife in 2013 to 2015, Amber Heard, who just recently starred in the Aquaman film with Jason Momoa. And even when, even before this libel suitcase came about, Johnny Depp's name has kind of been put through the grinder uh, many, many times. And it's really because of this case that has gone on. And he really isn't the star that he used to be from the Pirates films to a lot of other things to really in the 2000s. He was like the A-list star of A-list stars. If you put him in a movie, his name's in there, you're going to make a lot of money. That's what happened on a film like Alice in Wonderland to even the last two Pirates of the Caribbean films on Stranger Tides and Dead Man Tell No Tales. Those were really big budgeted films because of his status in those films. And... Over the years, that status has kind of really diminished, and it's because of this case with Amber Heard. And when he was announced to be part of the Fantastic Beasts franchise, that was an immediate red herring, and not a lot of people liked that. But Warner Brothers stuck to their guns, and when 
the first Fantastic Beasts film came out, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that didn't really involve his character so much. But in the second film, it legitimately, it literally had his title, his name in the title when it was called Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. So Johnny Depp's character was a main focus of that film. And a lot of people were worried, well, how come Warner Brothers is having Johnny Depp in this? Why is he in this? And J.K. Rowling, David Yates, who came back to direct these first two Fantastic Beasts films and is coming back to direct the third one right now, defended the casting and said, we're going to stick by him. We're going to stick with him. He's going to be our guy no matter what. And it seems as if this thing was still going on. Apparently, he couldn't really start his role as Grindelwald again because he was stuck with these suits. And it seems like he's still going to pursue legal ramifications for this. And he was already delayed his time of getting to the set. And it seems like Warner Brothers couldn't afford to not have him around anymore. And they just decided to let him go. Now, who knows if this is something that was building up for a while or if this was something that, again, just kind of came out of the blue where Warner Brothers was like, listen, we haven't shot anything with you yet and we, we try to stick by you, but we're going to have to let you go. We can't go through with this anymore. And they just decided to let him go. And Johnny Depp put out a statement. Warner Brothers put out a statement. And I think in the end, this is a smart decision on Warner Brothers' part because I think they were, they were getting a lot of flack for this. And the Harry Potter franchise and the Wizarding World franchise, as it's really called nowadays, has been getting a lot of flack for a lot of things that have come against it in really the last year or so between Johnny Depp and, of course, what came out earlier in the summertime when J.K. Rowling was kind of making transphobic comments about people. And that really kind of put a... A, a thorn on her side in the, in the sense that people were really mad about it and readers of hers are are transgender and it felt like that she was alienating a side of her reader group that she didn't really she might not know have known about so I think for Warner Brothers if you have to stick to one person or, or another if you have to deal with one headache over another you deal with the J.K. Rowling headache over this one because J.K. Rowling is not just the creator of this world she's also writing the screenplays for these films it's not like she's just kind of what she did in the in the Harry Potter franchise where they probably consulted her she had a a, a seat at the table for going through everything making sure that it kind of went through her and she like where the, the franchise was going but on these films she's actually writing the screenplay so she has a bigger role than really Johnny Depp you can you can recast an actor it's been done before when it comes to to somebody who's really you can't get rid of somebody who created the world that you are profiting off of that's just a lot harder to do than getting rid of an actor so I think out of both I think they got rid of, of the greater liability at that point. Now, whether it's right that they keep J.K. Rowling on or not, that's I think that's a completely different story to really kind of tackle. And, and I think it also deals into what Warner Brothers has done recently with a lot of their actors that have kind of gotten into trouble. And not just J.K. Rowling, but also Ezra Miller earlier in the year when he had that whole incident of apparently choking somebody out in, in Iceland, I think it was. And you haven't really heard anything about that at all whatsoever. Warner Brothers has not commented on it. Ezra Miller has not commented about it. Nobody has really commented on it. And he's still preparing to do his own solo Flash movie. So I, I think for Warner Brothers, yeah, they got rid of one person, but it was after so much scrutiny. And, and I think for them, 
they'll wait for the public pressure to hit them before they really do anything. And I think that's the case for somebody like an Ezra Miller or a Johnny Depp and even for a J.K. Rowling. And so do you still defend these people even though they're making you money or do you say, you know what, we're going to go in a completely different direction? And I think that's some ramifications and questions Warner Brothers is going to have to come up with and, and, and are going to have to answer at one point or another. And when it comes to the Fantastic Beasts franchise, I mean, listen, I am a diehard Harry Potter fan. I've loved that franchise for a long, long time, and I'm sad that it ended. I wish it could still keep going. I'm, I'm holding out hope that one day J.K. Rowling writes another book or they can adapt the Cursed Child play for a film adaptation. You can bring back the big three of Grint, Watson, and Radcliffe again, kind of like what they did with Star Wars, but... This Fantastic Beast franchise, it's cool getting back into the wizarding world, but it just it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as organic, and and I feel like they're kind of shoehorning a lot of stuff in just to make it feel like it's part of that world, and I'm just not a fan of it, and I think it's hurting the franchise more than anything, and I understand for Warner Brothers, they need a major franchise win at this particular moment in time, but I, I don't think this is really working out for them. They, they saw a diminished return in... The Crimes of Grindelwald. It did modestly okay for a Harry Potter franchise film with the first Fantastic Beasts film in 2016. But when this one came out in 2018, it just it didn't work out. And and I don't know what's going to happen with this third film. I don't know who they're going to get to replace Johnny Depp. People are, are, are asking Colin Farrell to come back because he kind of played the, the wizard that would turn out to be Grindelwald in the first film. People are suggesting somebody like, I think I saw Tom Hardy at one point. I saw Matt Smith at one point. I think Matt Smith would be an interesting choice. He looks like he could kind of take over that role of of Grindelwald and have that same kind of physical appearance. So that could be somebody that you kind of bring aboard. But I just think at this point, I I mean, I'm in, I'm a fan of the Wizarding World, but I'm not really overly joyed for these films. And again, it was also kind of announced in this this delay or in, in the story of Johnny Depp, it was also announced that the the movie is being moved from November, December of 2021 to 2022 in the summertime. So how is that going to really kind of figure in? 2022 isn't as busy as 2021, but that could change if things don't get better with the coronavirus in the next few months. So I think... For Fantastic Beasts 3, again, it has the name, it has the the Wizarding World in it, so you'll get people to go into it, but again, I think with everything that's kind of going on with this franchise right now, it's going to be harder to convince people to come back for it than maybe they did in 2018, and again, it's not really the fault, again, of the production company, of the studio, or the film, but because of COVID, it'll be... It'll be about three to four years since the last film came out in 2018. So that's a really big layoff for these films. And are people going to be interested in coming back in 2022 for this Fantastic Beast franchise, especially in the summertime, which I'm sure is going to get crowded in the next year or so for 2022 anyway. So are people going to really want to come back for that or not is a question that is going to have to be asked, I think, some point down the line. But I think with Johnny Depp, Overall, I think they made the right decision. It was the right play, especially when you have to deal with two headaches right now within that franchise between J.K. Rowling and Johnny Depp. You deal with J.K. Rowling more than you deal with Johnny Depp because all due respect to Johnny Depp, 
in terms of being a performer, an actor who was once on the top of his game, who was kind of fallen down, you get rid of, you can replace the actor. It's easier to replace an actor than it is to replace somebody who has literally created the world that you profit off of. So I think it's, it's you, you handle that situation more than you do with Johnny Depp. What do you guys think about this news with Johnny Depp? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And with that, everyone, that is going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Basel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L. S-A-M-U-E-L, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L, S-A-M-U-E-L, and also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Guys, thank you again so much for tuning in, and until next time, keep on screening.